0: We are going to be finishing the Gospel of Matthew today, so we are going to be in matthew chapter twenty eight and um, i'm really excited and blessed uh, to be able to be here um, to be able to look at to be able to look at this scripture which I pray this morning that God would give us fresh eyes to see this um, this understanding of uh, the power of the resurrection um, review of matthew twenty seven verses twenty seven through sixty six Last week, we looked at a a brutal, brutal passage, and I want us to to think about this, not in the terms of us knowing that this is the Passion Week of the Christ, and now we're going to look at the resurrection, but I want you to consider the gospel account to the people that experienced it. They weren't thinking that when Jesus was being mocked that, okay, he's just going to endure this, and then all of a sudden, everyone's going to praise him. They're in the middle of this watching it happen, and they don't know what the end of the story is. We know that when it's the king crucified, just imagine how how brutal that was. Remember, we, we looked at it. Jesus's mother was there watching this whole thing happen. His uh, back being just ripped open, shredded. Uh, Jesus being scourged. When we looked at him being beaten, mocked, uh, having a crown of thorns placed on his head, uh, being punched in the face with a bag over his head saying, prophesy, who hit you? Uh, He was stripped of his clothes. They put a robe on him. They mocked him. They said, oh, hail King of the Jews. And, And that was at a time when they didn't know what was gonna happen next. There was an utter hopelessness in their lives. And I want you to consider this because when we look at when Jesus yielded up his spirit, when he said, it is finished, Jesus accomplished something on the cross where he took your sin and my sin upon himself. But when his friends... And his, his family and his disciples heard him say, it is finished. In their mind, they thought, it's done. That's it. This is, this is an end. And I just want you to, if you could, the bleakest time of your life. Now, I'm not saying that you have to go there fully because I know that for some of us, there are memories that are too painful for us to go back to. Things that people said to hurt us, a betrayal, things that happened to us. And as bleak As that was, it can't be compared to how bleak it was after Jesus was placed in the tomb for the disciples, especially, I think, for Peter. You remember that Peter said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And Jesus said, no, tonight you will. And Jesus told Peter that he was going to fail, that he was going to betray him. And that, I mean, they would all forsake him and and flee. And all of them did. Jesus yielded up his spirit. And then uh, he was placed in a tomb. We we looked at how Joseph of Arimathea said, can I have the body? And uh, they pre- prepared these spices and they, they uh, asked for Jesus' body because on the Sabbath day, um, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't do that. So there was kind of this preparation time. Now, when we get to Matthew chapter 28 and uh, we look at what is happening here, um, You know what, I I think these are my notes from last week. Is there a Matthew 28 there by any chance? Or you know what, let me tell you what happened. We may have to go off off grid. (laughs) Um, During prayer this morning at nine o'clock prayer, my computer was up and sometimes uh, Microsoft uh, will do a, a little update and it says you have 20 minutes, you know, and if you wanna restart later, you can. While we were in here praying, my computer restarted. And so it, I was using last week's presentation to put my notes in. So you know what, we'll, we'll go off grid for a second here. And uh, it reminds me of Star Wars. Do you remember that when Luke had to put away that, that you know, he put that mask on. He had to trust. Well, we got to trust the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So this is what is going on in Matthew chapter 28. It says, now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Now, I think it's uh, it's really telling that they had no idea that Jesus was going to rise again from the grave. They came uh, ready to prepare Jesus's body for burial. It was a real quick thing that they did when they placed him in the tomb on that Good Friday, which we know it as, but yet they wanted to come back and they wanted to prepare his body properly and there would be um, spices and there would be ointments that would be placed really kind of like an embalming type of thing. So when they came on this first day of the week, I think that it's um, important for us to know that they came early. These women were seeking to do this for Jesus. And they were absolutely shocked and surprised at what they saw. They came to a tomb. Just the word tomb. When you think about what a tomb is, um, it, it has this connotation of something that is dark. It's something that it's lifeless. Um, no one comes to a tomb to expect someone to be alive. Now, when we think of resurrection, for us as believers, we know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So if a person dies in Christ, they're going to live again. And that's the blessing that we have. But for them coming to this tomb, it was a bleak day. And they came and there was this great earthquake. And the angel de- descended from heaven and he rolled back the stone. And notice that he didn't roll back the stone to let Jesus out. It wasn't like Jesus is on the inside knocking. You know, someone let me out of here. Um, there, there are people that have this theory called the swoon theory, which these the smart people have come up with this theory of what really may have happened, which is really a, a stupid theory. Um, here's a guy that has had no food and no water. If you're dehydrated for three days, you're, you're dead. You can't go without food and food for 40 days, but you can't go without water. Jesus would have been dehydrated. He would have been placed in this tomb. Uh, He's had a spear that was thrust to him and what flowed it says that blood and water flowed the separation of that coagulation because after death this is happening within his body Um, he's been beaten he's been scourged he's had so much blood loss so much trauma um, a crown of thorns on his head all of these things happen to Jesus. And there are some that say that he swooned, he he was unconscious, he came to consciousness, he moved this super heavy stone out of the way. The Roman guards were there making sure that no one would steal the body. If the body would would go missing, they would be executed for the loss of of, uh, their assignment because there was this rumor and so they guarded it the best that they could. So when the angel came and rolled back the stone, it really wasn't to let Jesus out it was to let the women in it was so that they could come in and see this incredible thing it says that his countenance was like lightning the brightest thing that they knew at that time his clothing as white as snow and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men so the guards are freaking out imagine that you are the one that's assigned to guard this tomb You know, there's this rumor that he's going to rise again. And all of a sudden you see this angel and there's this giant shaking and the stone is rolled away and, and the guards are shaking for fear. And the next thing that happens is I love it because in verse five, I want you to hear this. But the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. In verse five, the guards shook for fear and they became like dead men freaking out. The angel says to the women, you don't be afraid because I know you're seeking Jesus. You guys be very afraid, be very, very afraid. You see, they're freaking out and they're shaking. They become like dead men and the angel doesn't comfort them. Whom does the angel comfort? The women, why? Because they were seeking Jesus. Um, There's a scripture that Paul writes, and it says that the fragrance of Christ, the resurrection, that for us that are being saved, it's this fragrance to life. And for those that are enemies of God, it's this fragrance of death. The appearance of the angel to the guards, they're freaking out and they're like dead men. But to the women that are coming to seek Jesus, there's a word of comfort. And I think it's so important that this morning, realizing this god knows why you're here today if you are here really seeking jesus he knows your heart and i pray that that's why we're here if if it's just religious activity um the pharisees and the scribes had a lot of religious activity right if it, if god gives awards for being religious and, and making sure that you check in every day and you check off the list of commandments. The scribes and the Pharisees get a lot of brownie points and they're way up high on that totem pole. But Jesus comes and he rebukes them because their hearts weren't really in it. They weren't really open to Christ. But for us that are open to Christ, this morning I pray that, that you're here not because maybe someone invited you and you came out of uh, just consideration for this person that you care about a good friend or or maybe someone told you about about the church or or someone invited you and and maybe they're not here today but you came and that that's great but you know what God really knows he knows your heart and he knows whether or not you're really seeking Jesus he knows whether or not am I here just because um this is a work day for me you know I'm not going to call in sick and uh you know I have to go because I'm the pastor and and if I weren't then I would just go no he knows my heart he knows why I'm really here What is the purpose of me? What is the purpose of you being here? For the the women that came, they they were seeking after Jesus. And in verse six, the angel says, he is not here for he is risen. And he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. Now, this is part of what Matthew Sunday is all about, about this outreach, um, about inviting people to church or to an event. Come and see. The angel said, come and see. I want you to see this place where Jesus was and he's not there anymore. I want you to see the tomb. And you know what that's a great way of reaching out to people. Sometimes it's just come and see. Come see for come come to church. Oh, I'm I'm not religious. Just come. Just come and listen, come and check it out. Well, you know, I know that my life is kind of messed up and, and man, if I came to church, you know, people would just know that I don't belong there. Just just come and see. And you know what this invitation to come and see is um, it's something that all of us should be participating in. Come and see. When is the last time that you invited someone to come and see? When's the, this incredible statistic that was uh, put out, um, I I can't remember the exact number, but it was a few years ago. They were inviting, um, they were, interviewing people at public places, at malls, uh, different uh, public areas of, of gathering. People, and not religious gatherings, not churches. And they asked them this simple question. If a friend of yours or a family member invited you to go to church with them, would you go with them? And it was, I, I don't remember the exact number, but it was like two thirds said, yeah, I probably would. Maybe maybe they say no. What harm is that? So come and see but we can't leave it at come and see because sometimes you would invite someone and they, they won't come to church maybe because of their background. I know that for some people to come into a Christian church is, is really like saying, I'm open to those things. And maybe they were raised as another religion or atheist or a different background and, and for them to come to church, it, it's really a, a big deal. So maybe they wouldn't. But I want you to notice that in verse seven, After the angel said, come and see the place where the Lord lay, in verse 7, the angel said, and go quickly and tell. I want you to hear that. So they were to come and see, but then they were to go and tell. It says, go and quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So come and see is only part of it. The other part is go and tell. When is the last time that I went and told? When is the last time that I talked to someone specifically for the purpose of telling them about Christ? And you know what? It's not just about Christ, it's the resurrection. This morning, it's, it's the resurrection of the king. It is so important because it's the bedrock, the whole Bible, the whole gospel, our whole faith, our whole belief, everything rests on this fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we're, we're no different. We're just studying a religion, a good teacher. So it's come and see, but then go and tell. Indeed, he's going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And then in verse 8, um, and I want you to notice something about this also. This is not option. It, it, it's not optional. Um, when you buy a car... You buy a car, and have you ever noticed how many options that there are now? That some car companies are so terrible that, oh, you wanted floor mats with that? We didn't know you wanted, that's an option. You wanted a, a side rearview mirror on that side? Oh, we did that's an option. Oh, you want a bumper with your truck? Okay, that's, a, that's an option. And there's all these options, and people say, well, I want it all. Well, for us as Christians, when we follow Christ, it's not... Okay, you could come to Christ and be a disciple. And if you wanna be a disciple that makes disciples, you're over here. And if you wanna be in the second rung of disciples that doesn't make disciples, you're over here. And you guys get track A, you're like the honor students. You guys get track B, you're like remedial students. And, and Jesus didn't do that. All of us are on the same track. Okay, there's one program for, we have different callings specifically. But when it comes to, to telling people, all of us are involved in that. And so I want you to see that when when they they went, um, he said, "Go quickly and tell the disciples, quickly." Uh, we used to tell our athletes, uh, especially in, in football, there's a difference between fetch and sikkim. You know, when there's a fumble on the ground and you go fetch, like, oh, there's a ball that's just <laughs> sitting on the ground. Someone's going to get it. And you jog over there. We yell at you and make you run extra laps because you're supposed to be sick em. And you, you're supposed to jump on the ball and, and you fight for the ball and you go for it because that ball is yours. And we teach them that ball is yours. As soon as it's on the ground, that's a free ball. You go for it. And for us as Christians, I think that, that we miss this, go quickly and tell the disciple, go quickly. It's kind of like, yeah, I'm just waiting for that ideal opportunity to tell them about Jesus. What do you mean by ideal opportunity? Well, I'm just waiting until like their life starts to fall apart. And then uh, when everything starts to fall apart, then, then they'll come to me and then they'll say, my life is falling apart and I still won't say anything yet. I'll just wait. And then they might say, hey, you go to church, right? And then they might say, could you tell me a little bit more about what you believe? And then that's my opportunity and then I'll tell them. (laughs) Go quickly And when they went and told the disciples Notice some of the disciples They didn't believe God isn't telling us go quickly And tell people that say please tell me He's saying go quickly and tell people Even people that are in despair and doubting And maybe you know some people That are doubting right now They're doubting God's existence They're doubting that God is real They're doubting that this faith That they believed when they were children Is still real Real it was just this kind of thing that my family went through. Go tell them. And you know what? Don't be afraid because the Holy Spirit will do a work. If a person is truly open, I believe that the Holy Spirit will do the work that we can't do. We can't just trust in ourselves and say, well, you know, I'm all equipped and I've done apologetics and I've studied all these things and now I'm ready. No, you know what? They didn't know. What, what did these women know at this point in time? They, know, they knew that the tomb was empty. And that they were to go tell the disciples that Jesus is risen and he's going to meet with them. That's all they knew. And you know what? If that's all we know, that's enough to start somewhere. It it says, uh, the next thing that happens in in verse 8. So they went out again quickly from the tomb. With what? With fear and great joy. There's fear and great. Have you ever told someone about Jesus and you know that there's some fear that's going on? It's one of the scariest things to do because I believe with all of my heart, there's spiritual warfare that happens at that point. When you start to tell someone about Jesus, uh, and I'm not, it, it, you don't even have to share the whole gospel. If you just invite them to church or you, you share something that God has shown you, I'll tell you what the fear is. The fear is mostly for us of rejection. Listening to KP, uh, and, uh, you know, the the founder of Gospel for Asia, when, when someone shares a testimony and that man that is sharing the testimony has had broken ribs because he preached the gospel, you listen a little intently like he knows what he's talking about. And when they train their pastors to go out into the field, to go plant churches, they teach them to go into a new city. And what they do when they get to that city is they dig a grave. And at the edge of the city, they dig a grave and they go into the city as though to say, if this is where I die, then that's where you bury me because I'm ready. There's a seriousness to the gospel that in all honesty in in cultural Christianity in America that we don't really have. Not a condemnation trip. This is not a guilt trip. This is a reality that when they made disciples, when, see, later on Jesus is going to command the disciples to go and, and baptize people. And when you are baptized in another country that persecutes Christianity People know that baptism is equated to martyrdom at times. If I'm willing to be baptized, it means I'm willing to die. And the baptism, is a sig- it, it signals that. It's a, it's a sign that, that when you go under the water, you're dying to self. And that when you come out of the water, you're risen with Christ. And there are people that understand that. And it's so important that when we go, yes, there's fear. But notice what the next thing is. There's great joy. For me as a Christian, there is is the great joy of my children walking in the truth as John talked about. There's a great joy in discipleship. There's a great joy in teaching the word. But to me, it's not the greatest joy. My greatest joy is being able to lead someone to Christ. It's my greatest joy as a Christian. My greatest joy, and not just at church. I'm saying one-to-one when I'm talking to someone. When I've had opportunities to pray with someone and that person that is just standing there, just listening and asking questions and there's dialogue and I don't know where on that clock, remember Don Porter talked about that clock. You know, some people, they come to Christ after the 60th conversation or the 100th. I don't know where I am on that continuum. But once in a while, I've gotten those opportunities one-to-one to share the gospel and they're at that place of ready to receive. And when that happens, that is the greatest joy All of heaven, it says, rejoices over that. All of heaven rejoices over one person that comes to Christ, one person that's saved. And so there's great joy. And they ran to bring the disciples' word. And notice in verse nine, this incredible phrase, and as they went. So this is continuous action, as they went. So they're going, they're in the middle of going to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. If you feel far from God, um, I want you to ask this question in your own life. When is the last time that you have preached the gospel, told someone about Christ, shared about your faith with someone? Because I really believe that's where we meet Jesus. I really believe that when we share our faith with others, that's where there's fear and that's where there's joy. Do you know in this, in this life that we live, there are so many artificial ways to create adrenaline rush uh, we we could jump out of planes uh, we could paintball why does paint why is paintball so fun for me? because that thing hurts so bad when it hits you and be, if it didn 't hurt i wouldn 't care my adrenaline wouldn 't be pumping. I would just walk around like the terminator and, you know it wouldn 't really matter, but because that ball hurts when it hits you you your, your adrenaline gets pumping you know there's there's four guys that are hiding behind this this you know one little berm or something and you come around and you start shooting them and then and then you the the adrenaline is there because there's there's a little bit of danger involved um there's a adrenaline that is involved in sports right Because when you're guarding that person one-to-one and everyone's watching and that assignment is all on you, there's this adrenaline rush. Well, guess what? If you want an adrenaline rush every day, and I'm not saying that you share the gospel because of this, just go share the gospel with someone. And your heart will start thumping in your chest because there's some spiritual warfare that's going on. And the person might reject you. And you're not sure how this is going to go. But what causes you to overcome your fear is that you love them and because you love the Lord and because you know what God has done for you. If you don't know the Lord personally and you don't know what he's done for you, you will never share with someone else. The risk is too great. You share when you don't, you, don't um, you can't weigh the risk compared to the reward. Yes, your adrenaline is in there. Yes, there's fear. And as they went to tell the disciples, Jesus met them. He said, rejoice. There's incredible joy. And so they held him by the feet and they worshiped him. What is worship? It's worth Jesus is worth everything. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now, Paul the apostle was not one of these original apostles. He became an apostle later on. But I want you to re- listen to this. This is what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church about the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8, Paul said this, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. Now, notice these words. Paul says, what I gave to you, I received. You can't spread the measles if you don't have the measles, right? You have to give something that you have received. And if you don't have a love relationship with Christ, you can't tell people about a love relationship with Christ, He says, I I deliver to you first what I also receive: that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, which is another name for Peter, and then by the 12, after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present time, but some have fallen asleep. Or in other words, they've died. And after that, he was seen by James and then by all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen also by me as one born out of due time. The evidence of the resurrection is all over, all over history. The evidence of the resurrection, not only was the body missing, not only um, was the body gone, if it were the Romans that stole the body or the Jews that stole the body, Why would they do that? I mean, there's no purpose in it, right? Because they're trying to they're trying to make sure that this rumor about Jesus rising from the dead never gets spread. So obviously they wouldn't steal the body. They say, well, maybe the disciples stole the body. During Jesus' trial, what did they all do? They all fled. They all ran. After the resurrection and after Pentecost, they start preaching this gospel with boldness. So much so that all of them either died a brutal martyrdom or were tortured for their faith. Would you do that for a lie? They didn't do it when Jesus said, hey, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna rise again. They freaked out and they, they fled. The resurrection, it changed them. They were willing to die. Not only that, the time of worship, the place of worship, It moved to Sunday. Why did it move? Why are we here? This is testimony that the resurrection is true. The whole church moved their worship day. The the Christian Jews changed their day of worship. And you know how important that day of worship is to them. They changed it to Sundays because of the resurrection. Not only that, the people that testified, he didn't appear to one person. He appeared to many. At one time, 500 people at once. All of the evidence of the resurrection it is so important. And why is the resurrection so important to us? It proves that Jesus is God's son. If we leave out the resurrection, then Jesus really wasn't who he said he was. It, it proves that the Bible is true. It proves that scripture is true. Because all of these prophecies in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, they're fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus. It it assures our future resurrection because Jesus rose from the dead. Guess what? If you die in Christ, you're also raised with Christ. The resurrection, it it shows us that there will be a future judgment. Some people say, well, I got away with it. No, no one ever really gets away with anything. There is a future judgment. It's the basis for, for Jesus as our intercessor today. If Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, then he's not praying for us right now. But when we read scripture, it says that he is making intercession for us. The resurrection, it gives us power for Christian living. It's the power of the resurrection. Why why are we able to change? Why are we able to, there's, there's things that God does in us that we can't do. It's the resurrection. And it assures us finally of our future inheritance in heaven. So the resurrection, you cannot have Christianity without the resurrection. So in verse 11, What did they try to do? They tried to spread a false report, some lies. In verse 11, while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and they reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And when they assembled, verse 12, "Uh, with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, tell them, his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews, even until this day. So they're saying, what happened to the body? We gotta do something. We have to have a cover up. Let's go to the guards and let's tell the guards, we'll bribe you, we'll we'll pay money for you to say, hey, the disciples came at night and stole him away. Now, execution was something that they would suffer for. But notice, they said, we'll go to the governor and we'll appease him and we'll make sure that you're safe. So it's crazy to me that this rumor started going around that the disciples stole the body. And yet the disciples, they died these brutal deaths. They they changed. Everything was different after the resurrection. And yet the, these rumors trying to keep Jesus down, even to this day, there are people that try to say, well, uh, we found the tomb of Jesus and uh, there's bones in it. It's Jesus's bones. Uh, there there are people that they, these fiction things, which really blows me away. Do you realize that um, a guy named Dan Brown wrote a, a book called The Da Vinci Code a few years ago? It's a fictional novel. Over 2000 years after the resurrection and people read this novel and go, <gasps> Wow, you know, there there was a cover-up. Jesus really never rose from the grave. I know. How do you know? I I read this novel. And uh, I read this fictional novel, and it it said that. And the theory in this novel, it totally shook my faith. It it really blows me away. If you were to study um, historical documentation, you want to go to the sources that were closest to when it actually happened. And when you read the, the sources that were closest to when it actually happened, not just biblical accounts, but extra biblical, that means outside of the Bible, other accounts, there are so many different accounts of Jesus' resurrection, of rumors that are floating around of their leader being raised from the dead, and all of these things that are happening. And yet, still to this day, people say, well, you know what, I, I read this, this novel or... Um, and let me say personally that when it comes to the resurrection, uh, one of the greatest evidences is the change in a person's life. How many of you can testify that when you came to Christ and the Holy Spirit came into your life, that you changed? All right, all, all these people are changed by a rumor. Like he, he caused me to be that different and have this peace. Now that's a personal testimony when you look at scripture and you look at the the evidence of scripture, sure, this is faith, but it also takes faith to not believe that. And it takes a great faith to believe that the Bible isn't true and that God isn't real. At the end, the great commission. We know this is the great commission and it's important that we know that in English, the prefix co means what? Together with along with. This is not called the great mission. This is called the great commission. And it says in verse 16, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Now notice, there are still some that are doubting even at this point in time. They saw him, some worshiped, others doubted. And Jesus came and he spoke. And by the way, when you read the other gospels, you know that Thomas was one of those doubt. That's why we call it a doubting Thomas. Thomas doubted. And what did Jesus say? Come see my hand, see my side. I'm not a ghost. I'm not an apparition. I'm not some reflection. I'm real. There's a real resurrected Christ. And it says in verse 18, he came and he spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So all authority is given to whom? Jesus. Jesus. What does he do with this authority? He says, now you go. In verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. This authority that Jesus has, this authority that he says, it's all been given to me. And with that authority, I tell you to go. Now, interesting, if you've ever done a Greek word study on the word go, that in the Greek it means what? It means go, right? So go. The first thing is go. It doesn't say, uh, all authority has been given to me, so stay in a monastery. Close yourself up in four walls. Don't go outside of those walls because you might be contaminated by the world. Make sure that you isolate yourself from all people that aren't Christians and only come and worship with people that won't contaminate your life. No, Jesus says, go. And Jesus was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton and, and of hanging out with sinners. And let me share this carefully so that we understand this. Jesus was never drunk and he was never a glutton. Jesus never sinned, but he hung out with sinners. Jesus didn't just say, come and see, but he went and he told. He came into their lives and he was accused by religious people of being a sinner because he was hanging out with them. That's why it's called a Matthew party. That's why it's called a Matthew Sunday. Matthew did this as a tax collector. He came to Christ and he threw a party and invited all of his friends over and invited Jesus there to meet with them. You know what? God has called us to do the same thing. He has called us to go is the first thing. And the second thing, notice what it says. He says, go therefore and make disciples. Um, When we go through this, a series on discipleship discipleship is not a program discipleship is not what we do here at the church necessarily although it could be a part of it discipleship is for every believer so let me ask you when i read this when jesus said to the original disciples he said what how did he how did he call them to be disciples what did he say Go make disciples. But to the original disciples, he said what? Come and follow me. Okay, just, just follow me. Which means be, it was, it was literally follow me. It was not Instagram follow. It was not Twitter follow. Uh, you could be a Twitter follower and not know the guy. You know what I mean? Like I'm a follower and this guy goes, I have 20,000 followers on Twitter but they don't know me. They only know these 44 words that I, well, whatever, however many words, you know. I just put these words out and people read these words and there's nothing wrong with that, but, but that's not really what a disciple is. A follower meant that they stopped what they were doing and for some of them, they had to give up their occupation. Do you remember that, oh, the demon possessed man that remember that he wanted to follow Jesus and what did Jesus tell him? He said, I want you to stay here. And I want you to tell people here the good things that I've done for you. All of us as believers are missionaries. He may be calling some of us outside of our own country. He may be calling some of us outside of our own culture. But if he is, then you're a cross-cultural missionary, but all of us are missionaries. If I'm a missionary in another land, I remember when I went to Hong Kong and I went, to, um, I went on a mission trip to China and one of the players on our basketball team was so good that the Hong Kong, they have a professional basketball league in Hong Kong. They asked one of our missionaries, would you stay? They offered him an apartment in Hong Kong in a high rise a basketball contract with a professional team, the ability to fly back to the United States and back to Hong Kong throughout the year. And they said, would you come and would you stay and be a professional basketball player? What was his prayer? His prayer is, Lord, if you want me to do that as a missionary, I'll do it. But he felt that God wanted him to come back to the United States to do what what he was doing here. So he said, no. He said no to a great job getting paid to play basketball and to travel and to see the world and have this incredible apartment and a high rise in Hong Kong and to be able to fly all the way around the world and come back and they would pay for all of those things as their import player on their team and he said no God's called me to be a missionary but just not here see God has called every single one of you and myself included to be missionaries because we're either missionaries or we're missions right and if we're missions, then that someone has to reach out to us. But God's called us to reach out to other people. And let me close with this. He told them to go. He told them to uh, baptize, uh, make disciples. And then he told them to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to baptize someone? It means that they come to a place of faith where they declare what it is that they believe and they declare publicly, I'm a follower of Christ. Have you declared publicly that you are a follower of Christ? I, I hope so. If you haven't, we'll have opportunities. We'll have more baptisms. We'll have opportunities at times for people to come forward to say, I am a follower of Christ. Not because um, that's something to show off. Not because it's something of, uh, I really I can't be a Christian if I accepted the Lord on my own. But because to be a follower of Christ means that it's not private. You go public with it. You share your faith. You're not this Christian that, you know what? I have my church life and I have my Christian friends. I have my private time with God. But at work, it's all business. At school, it's all school. On the team, it's all about doing the best that I can. Yes, it is all of those things. But it's all of those things as though you just moved to this country and you went to your school, you joined your team, you started working at that place to say, God, open up a door where I am to help me to share the love of Christ with these people. That's what it means to be on mission. And we're gonna look at what that means to be a disciple in the next 10 weeks, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Now that's a lifelong thing, the teaching and the learning process. We should always have people that we're learning from and people that we are teaching and people that we are learning with. And finally, Jesus said, behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age, amen. We, we quote that promise so many times and we take it out of the context of the mission that God has sent us on. Why is it called the great commission? Because he's with us. When does he give us this promise that he's with us? When we're doing the things that he wants us to do. And sometimes we just, we we only quote the last part. I, I actually had one of those Bible promise boxes, you know, where you get the little promises until you get the one that you want for the day. And then I just keep going. And then I got this one and said, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, amen. I love that one, God's always with me. But it took off the part that says, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. That's a part of the verse. That's a part of what God's called us to do. And while we're scared and there's great fear, there's also great joy and satisfaction in leading someone further in their relationship with Christ. God is with us. The bottom line is this. When it comes to evidence of the resurrection, I'll I'll share one more. It's this. Uh, In Israel, there's a tomb, and I don't know if it's the exact tomb for sure. Um, Personally, I would like to think that it is. All of the descriptions of uh, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, it was a tomb of a rich man. It was just outside of the city walls. It was in a garden, as a garden tomb. All of the descriptions of that tomb are, are of this tomb that they've uncovered, right, right next to Golgotha. Remember when I showed you the picture of Golgotha? This is right next to it. So if it's not the tomb that Jesus was buried in, it's exact it, and when you go into the tomb, it says that they looked over towards the right and they saw the grave clothes And when you walk in, it says that they had to stoop down. This has been uh, hacked out a little bit bigger in the opening but you have to stoop down to go and when you go in you look over to your right and i could testify i've been there he's not there okay (laughs) I, i this is from 2006 jesus is not there he is alive he is risen he's working in your life he's working in my life and the bottom line that he has called us to yeah he's still not there the resurrection of christ gives us hope it brings joy And it sets us on mission with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, um, what that looks like in each one of our lives, we know that we have different callings. Lord, I know that you haven't called every person to leave their hometown, to go to a new place. I know, Lord, that you haven't called each one of us to be a a pastor or an elder. Lord, I know that you haven't given us the same specific calling, But Lord, when it comes to the calling to be disciples, Lord, remind us that that is for all of us. And by definition, Lord, that you showed us, a disciple is a fisher of men. A disciple is one that makes disciples. And Lord, we can't really say that we're disciples unless we're in the the process of not only being more into your image, being made into your image, but also discipling others and reaching out to others. So Lord, Show us by your Holy Spirit, Lord, what those next steps are. Lord, for some that are here, it's the step of faith. It's the step of saying, Jesus, I wanna be your follower. I wanna be a disciple. And if that is you this morning and you wanna be a disciple of Christ, you don't have to know everything about what that means or what that's gonna look like. But by faith, you're just saying, I wanna be his follower. Wherever you're seated right now, if you would raise your hand and just to signify, I want to be a follower of Christ. Amen. Now, if you are already a follower of Christ and you really haven't been intentional about making disciples, you've only made disciples if someone comes to you and says, hey, could you teach me? But now intentionally you want to say, God, use me to make disciples. Would you raise your hand? Amen. Lord, you know what's in our hearts. Like the women that came to the tomb to seek Jesus, Lord, you know the intention of us raising our hands. And Lord, you know that um, it's a scary thing. You know, Lord, that for us, um, at times we feel inadequate, but remind us, Lord, that it's not us, it's you. And that you don't send us on mission by ourselves, you go with us. And Lord, it's where we meet you. It's where we see you work. It's where we experience great joy. Lord, we thank you. Lord, help us as a church body, but then Lord, as individuals to make disciples and help us to be disciples. Help us to follow you. Fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit because God, we can't do this without you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.